Welcome, people, to the Obstacle Races New Zealand podcast. Uh, so we're we're back. We've taken a break over Christmas and getting back into the swing of things, trying to remember where we were up to in the podcast because we have today's episode, our interview, we recorded it uh, pre-Christmas. And we have a few more sitting in the bag as well recorded before Christmas. So they're exciting. But, yeah, we're trying to remember where we're at. Yeah, how, how have you been over Christmas, Stephen? Uh, pretty good, Max. Welcome to 2022. Uh, not the way I thought the year was going to start. Like no. <laughs> going in a semi-lockdown and having a whole heap of events cancelled. But no, I've had a, a real good Christmas break. Me and my wife took a bit of time off and had a bit of a tour around the countryside. Um, did a bit around the Coromandel and went up north for a little while and very relaxed. But now back into into the work. Um, and uh, what do you call it? Did uh, one event over... Over lockdown, over over Christmas, um, I did the goat, which uh, was another hard, hard, hard slog. But uh, oh, had a real relaxing time. Not really. You and your family? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty good time. Um, I just changed jobs. So I was going to start my new job. Oh, I can forget the date. Start of the new year, and then. My previous job, I'd already asked for time off since before Christmas, have the whole Christmas New Year's off. So when, when I switched jobs, I just took all that time off still anyway. So I had a big gap in between, it was quite nice. Um, big gap of doing nothing was good. And yeah, been good with kids and COVID sort of ruins things. Usually we have a family gathering, extended, extended family each Christmas, but didn't do it this year due to COVID, which is a bit unfortunate. And yeah, my new job's going good. It's a bit hard. It's a bit less. It's still sort of physical. I'm still uh, walking around, but a lot of my, probably half my days on the road, driving in a car. So I'm a bit less active than my previous job. <laughs> Means I have to make up for that somewhere to <laughs> retain my fitness. Try and do some more running somewhere. Um, haven't figured so, out that in yet. But. I see you did a good run the other day up around, uh, looks, well, the photos on um, Strava looked real good. Yeah. Up around some hill somewhere? Yeah, because I, I was booked in to do a race, actually. It just got cancelled as well. It was the Wellington Xterra Festival. Um, but we'd already booked accommodation, so we decided to go away for the weekend anyway. And it's just outside of Wellington. It's like an hour outside of Wellington. But rather than driving up that morning for the race, we decided to stay the weekend with the kids. Um, so we went up anyway, had a holiday. And there's another run up there, the Escarpment Track, which runs – there's the – the coastal road and you go up the steep hill and the tracks along the hill um it's been on my bucket list for years to to run it finally got around to it and it, it's awesome it's amazing views there's really exposed not much vegetation and big um stair sections at points and it's pretty crazy it's not handrailed actually <laughs> yes it certainly <laughs> looked like some, some of the uh, photos you posted looked uh, it looked spectacular but that's swing bridge and yeah suspension area and um and the stairs Certainly looks like a well set up track, that's for sure. It's a good one, yeah. Really popular as well. Past lots of people doing it. Looks like a well good track. And it goes from one train station, it's about 9k, but one direction. Um, so I ran it and then ran it back. But I realised it starts at a train station and ends at another train station, which I probably could have looked up beforehand, but I didn't realise it. So you could easily walk it and then just take the train back to where you parked your car. Yeah, okay. Yes. Well, what else has been happening in the world of OCR that we uh, want to bring up now? Um, 
there's hundreds of different things. <laughs> lots of events being cancelled and lots of things happening around, but I think we'll we'll save them to a, a later episode and spend a bit more time delving into that. Yeah, quite a bit's been happening, quite a bit of news for us to talk about, actually. Um, but yeah, we'll try and keep it brief today because our interview today is fairly long, so we'll bring up the news in future episodes. Uh, yes. But I did, I did want to bring up that recently we've just released our 10th episode. Uh, last episode was number 10, so we made it into double digits, which is awesome. It is. And when I posted that, I realised that we were up to 400 and something listens overall. We were coming up to 500, so I started putting out some social media posts trying to encourage people to share it um, to see if we could reach two milestones at once, if we could reach 500 listens and 10 episodes released. Um, and we made it. So in between last episode being released and this one, we've surpassed the 500 listens, total listens goal, which is awesome. So thank you everyone who's yeah given us a listen. Just keep listening, keep subscribing, keep sharing it around. And quite surprising for me, looking at his stats, I don't have them pulled up here, but most of our listeners were in New Zealand. But we also had a lot of listeners overseas as well, which surprised me, considering our content is New Zealand-based. But we had a lot, a lot of listeners in uh, North America, um, which was pretty cool. We've got more listeners in North America than we have in Australia. And G Germany and the UK aren't far behind either. I've got it open here. All oh, right. But, uh, the Czech Republic and Ghana and Canada. It's surprising. It's awesome. Like I guess people, because all our content's New Zealand. We talk about New Zealand races, New Zealand people involved in obstacle sports. Um, so I guess it's either Kiwis overseas or it's people wanting to learn about what's happening in, in New Zealand. I think we need to get more female uh, audiences. We need to work out how to do that. We've got 80% male and 20% female. Mm. And uh, it's about a good mix of ages from 18 to even... 1% are over 60. Mm. My parents. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it is good. Uh, we've got uh, 45 regular listeners, which is uh, which is good. Has listened to nearly all. Have listened to all episodes, so that right. certainly helps. Yeah, that's encouraging to see. Yes, um, encourages us to keep going and especially since we since just started the podcast, it's cool to see. It's spreading and some traction out there. Yep. See if we get mentioned at the uh, podcast awards uh, later in the year in New Zealand this year. Now that we've been going for, well, we will be going for a year by the time we get back to that again later in the year. Yeah. Yep. We're gonna improve our quality. Try and get in there next year. Well, that reminds me. Yeah, we could we could shout out to um, Matt B Davis of Obstacle Racing Media. So he sent me a message recently online um, asking me to send the link to the podcast so he could share it via his network um i sent him the link and he was like oh i've already shared this <laughs> which which he had he shared our podcast previously then he oh, said yeah. share, share it again which is awesome um yep. yeah so i've been listening to off the media for years a good five plus years it's awesome that we're getting some attention from overseas from america and it's cool mm -hmm. to network with him and yeah yeah cheers cheers matt b davis for paying attention to us and helping us grow our audience as well. And if anyone hasn't checked out that Obstacle Racing Media, it's it's awesome. It's, yeah, the most prolific podcast on Obstacle Racing out there. Um, definitely give that a listen. Yes, yeah, well, I've been listening to Matt for a fair while as well. 
along with a few others, but yes, he certainly has got the biggest range and uh, and the most up to date information on obstacle racing and anything Spartan. All right, well, shall we cut over and uh, listen to our our guest Matt? Um, listen right to the end. He he's a golfer uh, and he's got some very funny stories. He's got a very interesting life. Uh, his job is quiz master at a pub <laughs> so uh, but no hope you enjoy it is really funny we really enjoyed uh, talking to him and we'll have to get him back on at a later stage yeah some amazing stories yeah an ocr legend mini golf legend and pub quiz legend <laughs> just all-round legend i guess yes. uh, matt ainsley it's yeah very entertaining episode and i think he's been away i think he said he was away away from OCR and running events for a while, um, but he's getting back into them, he said, which is exciting. Hopefully see him at some races coming up. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. We've heard some, uh, been told we're going to get some interesting tales and uh, <laughs> get down some rabbit holes that we probably don't want to go, but uh, let's... Who told you that? See where we go. Oh, a few of your buddies got told to stay away from golf until the end. Otherwise, okay. that's fine. we talk about this golf. But yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, do you want to start by giving us a bit of a rundown? Where you're from? How you how you got here? Where you are? Sort of let the listeners know a little bit about Matt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so currently living in Auckland. Uh, been here since 2005. Uh, so. Not an Aucklander, just someone who lives in Auckland. And um, I currently work for Believe It or Not Quiz Events. We do pub quiz events around New Zealand. Um, currently in lockdown, which is not good for business. And um, yeah, so I host here here in Auckland, I host three pubs each week, as well as uh, the team who creates and does all the research, blah, blah, blah. Um, for the That's a day job. And then the night job is hosting, which is a lot of fun, a lot of people. And yeah. Um, so I've gone from not a lot of spare time to too much spare time here in lockdown. Currently uh, 37, did my, so you want an uh, obstacle race? My first obstacle race. Just anything about you, where you grew up, what's school? Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, history pre-OCR. Yep. Yeah, yeah, uh, so born and bred in uh, Wanganui, New Zealand, and um, lived there for my, uh, all my schooling. And then went to the UK for a year on a like a gap year tutorship type thing uh, in Salisbury, England, uh, which was epic. And uh, came back and lived in Wanganui for two years. Just worked and played every sport I could uh, in that two year period. And then uh, moved to Auckland in 2005 and uh, worked a few jobs and then ended up in my current job uh, in 2008. So I've been 13 years with the quiz company. Okay. And sports, you're in what sort of sports were you into? Oh, growing up, played everything. Uh, cricket, soccer, or football for our English friends, uh, volleyball. Uh, took up golf uh, at 13 in my high school years and uh, played quite a lot of that and did, did okay. Um, played a bit of rugby at the end of high school. And uh, yeah, golf, golf, probably golf and volleyball were my main sports. Um, Soccer. I should have. I should have kept playing soccer, but I gave that up to take up golf, and I, that's one regret I have. Uh, of I should have played more team sports in high school. 
put it that way, rather than golf with old men and an individual sport. So, yeah, but that's still enjoyed the golf years for sure. And then you got into OCR. Yeah. Were you into running or anything like that before, or was that just... I had done, um, I, I, I had played here in Auckland. I hadn't really played a sport uh, until 2008. And I uh, start, I played rugby for eight seasons at College Rifles in uh, Remuera. And OCR, I was, I was doing a boot camp um, in the Domain in 2012. And one of the guys, Dan Organ, uh, who's actually done some OCR himself, uh, he mentioned a mate overseas had done a tough mudder. And... Um, before that, I had I had done maybe maybe two half marathons and a, maybe two marathons just here in Auckland, and uh, wasn't really my cup of tea. I enjoyed it, but just I got bored basically. Um, and then uh, so I hadn't really done any events, so to speak. Yeah, so that was up until 2012, and then uh, once I started OCR, that changed my life pretty quickly uh, for what I did with my spare time and, and the number of events I've done. Hmm. So what what events have you done? Because I know you did a lot of Tough Mudder and World's Toughest Mudder. <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah. So so Dan mentioned that Tough Mudder in 2012, uh, and I went and researched it basically. That I don't think I did any work that day, uh, and just googled Tough Mudder, and like the the promo video was epic, uh, and I found out that they had a few races uh, events in Aussie, and so did the first one in 2013, uh, April 2013, just outside of Sydney. Uh, so that was the first event I did. And then my last event was 2018. Uh, and in between that, I've got a list. I put did some, did some research on my uh, my numbers. Nice. Uh, so between then, between April 2013 and May 2018, uh, I managed to finish 33 laps of uh, normal Tough Mudder events. Uh, that's an Aussie. And New Zealand had it 14, 17, and 2014, 17, and 18. I uh, did one tougher mudder in Whistler, Canada, in 2017, uh, which is just a, basically a 10-mile race, so 16K race, one lap. Uh, two toughest mudders, which is uh, eight-hour racing, as many laps as you can do in eight hours, starting at midnight and finishing at 8 a.m. Uh, so one was in Whistler as well on that trip in Canada, and the second one, which was my last race, uh, was... Uh, sort of Queensland, South Queensland uh, in May 2018. And also four World's Toughest Mudders, uh, which is the 24-hour race. Uh, so they were four years in Las Vegas, or just outside of Vegas, and that was 2014 through to 2017. And Spartan-wise, I've, uh, I've done four sprints, three supers, one beast, and six ultra beasts. That's an Aussie and one trip to the States. Uh, sorry, to Hawaii. Which was, wow. uh, yeah, <laughs> didn't so realize you'd done, didn't realize you'd done so many. Yeah, it's uh, uh, I got was, a bit addicted <laughs> in that six year stretch. Oh, that's mm. cool. Is there something about the ultra events that draws you in? I mean, with the Spartan Ultra and the, the Tough Mudder, the longer distances, do you prefer oh. that over the, the short distances? Yeah, well, like, it's funny because I'm not really suited to either. Sure, I'm not like you know, some people are good at short distances, some people are good at long distances. I'm not really good at either. Um, well, so not good, but I don't stand out at one or the other. But I kind of figured, if you, especially if you're going away, you want to do a, a decent race. You don't want to do a race that's over and done with in an hour or two. If, if you've flown to Aussie or the States, 
uh and then even like even just getting to some of these events it's like an hour or two travel because they're usually in obscure places um so i felt i feel like you've got to do a decent amount of time um just to make it worthwhile in my opinion and um yeah and it's actually and just training for the events as well was good because it made you you have to train you like some of the shorter distances you could probably wing just over general training but um any longer training you need to actually have a plan well ideally uh have a plan and, and train for it as well yeah you mentioned traveling to the events just thinking about that how were you how were you traveling so much was it just vacations and holidays and uh, you, like, doing the race and then doing other stuff around it as well yeah uh good question uh the first 2013 i did uh the sydney race so that was uh a week's holiday oh sorry that was about five days because my sister lives in sydney so i spent time catching up with her uh and then melbourne and Sydney. yeah so i actually had a bit of leave that i used up in 2013. 2014 i actually went that was my first year doing world's toughest and uh had a few changes at work and i actually went back to four day working week so three day weekends each week uh which meant i could basically do a four day trip and only have to take one day annual leave um which was four days is plenty especially to aussie uh is plenty enough time to get a decent trip in yeah so a lot of people have actually asked me that like how do you manage it all and it's like or, or sometimes uh in the first year anyway 2014 i had a deal with work with my manager that uh so say if i had to take a monday off i would work extra before going away to, so i didn't actually have to take leave not i didn't do that too often but enough to be able to do these trips and um so it wasn't like anything just i had to earn all that time off basically so yeah and getting on a plane after doing an ultra must have been fun and flying back here because i've flown to melbourne and, and the sunshine coast and done supers and, and um sprint yeah and getting and just going over on the thursday night having the friday doing it saturday and then getting on a plane and come back here sunday and that's bad enough but doing an ultra and getting on a plane especially folding yourself into some of those small seats yeah yeah, I, uh, you, it's one of those things that you just you learn, like you just get used to. Uh, so you have to stretch basically after the race. If you've got the flight the next day, that is. You just all these little things you kind of learn because you because you, you get off the flight and you are as stiff as anything because you just folded yourself, like you say, folded yourself up. I haven't had any too like embarrassing moments where my legs stop working or I can't get off the plane. Um, but yeah, I even flights were fun because <laughs> um, you normally ever share a story with someone if they i never i never initiate conversation but if someone asked what i was up to i'd normally tell them and um ocr still well maybe not so much now but definitely when i started 2013 14 not many people knew about it so it was a pretty easy conversation to kick off and you said you've done several ultras in australia so just for our listeners who probably haven't had any here in new zealand how how long is the average ultra and what's the sort of uh, mix of obstacles are they similar yeah. to the sprint just or super but just spread out a lot further or uh so i've done five ultras so yeah they call them ultra beasts um which is i think spartan defines it as at least 42 k's i think we did one one year that was close to 50. so they don't actually tell you the distance they just say it's an ultra uh you have to um be prepared basically like i think 
because I mean, not too many people keep track of um, the actual distance. They just do what the course is to do. Yeah. Um, so all the ultras are two laps. So it's not just one 42 loop uh, uh, track, like say a standard marathon uh, running event. Uh, it's just two loops of 121. Oh, sorry, whatever the distance is. And and you normally go, if you say 21 Ks, you're looking at about 30 obstacles, 30 to 35, I'd say. Um, and when we say obstacles, some could be as simple as just a beam that you have to roll over or climb over. Uh, and then, of course, the much tougher ones like a, a monkey bar, three kind of phase monkey bar type thing. Or And there's always, um, if you know, people listening have never done a Spartan race, uh, the spear throw is like that's iconic signature obstacle, which most people hate because it's not really any like... Um, you can't really train for it. I mean, you can, but not like you can for the other obstacles. I actually, I had about a 50% success rate on the spear throw, which made people around me hate me a lot. Uh, but it was all good. Yeah, I was going to ask you about um, World's Toughest Mudder, because we had uh, Liam Wilkinson. Yeah. Um, talk to him a little bit about it, but probably didn't get too in-depth with him about all that goes on with world's toughest and the um i've just been listening to some other obstacle racing podcasts from the states and they talk to some of the participants and it's fascinating just hearing about the the thought process that goes in behind you know like the pit crews and when you'll stop and do you wear a wetsuit and uh changing shoes and <laughs> all these sort of things um yeah i don't think i'll ever run that far myself but it's fascinating hearing people talk about it yeah so what did you ever like any sort of tactic around when you'd stop and take breaks and what your oh. fuel and what nutrition, that sort of stuff. I mean, yeah, I could talk about world's toughest for ages. Uh, uh, so, yeah, my first time was 2014. Uh, and should I just talk about, like, the background of getting into the world's toughest? Or yeah. The, yeah. Absolutely. So when I did that first Tough Mudder in 2013, the MC kept talking about a world's toughest mudder. Uh, which I think a few of the Aussies had, who were there that day had competed in. And I finished the Tough Mudder and I was like, man, this is cool. And then obviously the, the idea of a challenge to do it for 24 hours appealed to me. Um, and I actually entered, so that was April, I actually entered for the 2013 World's Toughest Mudder, uh, which was due to be in November, and started to train for it. But then the more I researched into like logistics and needing a pick crew and it was all the way in the States and the cost and time. I, uh, I, I backed out, I freaked out basically. Uh, and, but luckily they let me transfer the entry fee that I'd already paid uh, to the next year, 2014. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, my good mate, Sayon, uh, oh, I always pronounce his surname wrong. He's going to kill me when he hears this. Uh, Sivanan son. Oh, I need to remember how to say that. Um, he, he was doing the same boot camp that I had done when I'd first heard about it. And he had followed sort of progress of a few of my events and uh, out of the blue, he signed up for the event as well. <laughs> so, so there's two of us and we, um, so we did a bit of training together, but it's kind of one of those funny things. Like it's hard to train for something like that. It's such an individual thing. It's hard. It's probably better to train by yourself majority of the time with a few group sessions now and then but we both i actually uh we got at there's a world's toughest mud of facebook group uh which still exists and this year's race is due to go next weekend or the weekend after 
Uh, so that is getting posts on it left, right, and center right now. Um, but uh, an American guy who was kind of uh, by the name of Ken Jacobus, he was like one of the founders of the community. And I made a comment on some Facebook post back in 2013 or 14, just saying, oh, I'm coming from New Zealand for this race. Can't wait, something like that. Uh, and he private messaged me and got in touch and just said, hey, add yourself to this group. And um, there's a whole bunch of people with different advice and podcasts and, and advice you can look up. So I added myself to that and just researched all the posts from people who had done previous events. I didn't really worry too much about people hadn't done the event because they hadn't been there and done that. Uh, and there was another guy, Aussie guy, Tim, someone uh, who I only met once, but he, he had come, he'd come top 10 in 2013. So he sent through some advice and basically his advice was if you wanted to come top 10 and I was a bit like time out, mate, I don't think I can quite do that just yet. Um, but anyway, so we researched, we did a whole, did a whole bunch of research and, um, we were going in blind in 2014 uh, to Las Vegas. It was a the first three years for World's Toughest were 2011, 12, and 13, and had been done in New Jersey. Uh, and apparently, it was freezing the first two years, like just an epic, did not fail percentage. Uh, and then 2013, it was like the perfect conditions, and they had the highest ever average mileage finishing um, per competitor. Uh, and then, and then when they moved to Vegas. Everyone was saying how how warm it would be, and you probably don't need to wear a wetsuit, which most competitors had been doing in New Jersey, and people thought they could just run in minimum stuff. But uh, Say and I decided to take everything that was recommended, and um, that was 2014. So, uh, I'll, yeah, I'm, I'm getting to your question eventually. Um, so we, we we went into the whole thing blind. We had, like, well, not completely blind, but you just basically had to do all your research beforehand. And uh, we got over there, and it was like, it was so, I don't know if you've been to Vegas, but it's like November, it was like 25 degrees plus during the day. Uh, and then if the sun went down at 5 p.m., like super fast, the sun goes down. And uh, it gets very cold because it's kind of desert, desert type. And we were staying at the hotel near the event, and we... Um, slowly, but we were there for a whole week beforehand. <laughs> just, I just assumed being there a whole week beforehand would be great for acclimatizing uh, and jet lag, etc. And then through the week, more and more people started arriving, uh, and so the buzz started to arrive. And you met people from all over the world. I remember a guy from the UK. I can't remember his name. Uh, to oh, Jimmy was one guy and his mate, and they were just mad people who were just like, "Yeah, we're just going to run the whole time." And I was like, that was their plan. Yeah, we're just going to run the whole time. And um, uh, so it was pretty intimidating. Like they, you turn up with all these people who are like uber athletes. Like I just, nothing like I'd ever done myself. And you feel, you feel intimidated because you feel like you shouldn't be here or you shouldn't be there. Um, and you just got to have confidence in yourself that you're going to do well. And, and, and you hear, you talk to people beforehand and they're going, yeah, I've, I've, I've got this piece of gear or I've been training like this or I've got this nutrition and you just feel like, man, I'm so far behind the standard. You don't know what um, to do. Um, but anyway, the 2014, the race started and it was like 25 degrees and it was so hot. 
and they they put you i don't know how much you know about the race but you're they ask you to go to the start line half an hour before or almost an hour before you actually start and you kind of huddle into this the start area and they want everyone in there but there's no shade so you're in the blooming stinking hot sun for an hour before you're about to start a 24-hour race it's like man this is stupid um so we managed to get we managed to finally get going and um so i forgot what your question was actually all your questions <laughs> i was just there's just so much i could tell you about it that's all that's um, no, all right that's what we want to hear yeah well, yes, also so basically for those listening if you world's toughest it's it's an eight kilometer lap um that had the first year i can't remember the exact number of obstacles maybe 20 between 20 and 25. um so you had basically you had 24 hours to run or walk as many laps as possible and so you run the lap and then there's the pit area so there's 1200 people participating uh and you all got an area where you set up a tent with everything you need change of clothes food um well they're, they're the main things actually and if you've got pit crew they just hang out in the pit area like someone to assist you basically and they um it's pretty boring for them because they have to just either watch or wait for you to come back before they do anything and i had my two i had my dad and my best mate come over which was perfect for the first year and say had his friend andrea and we set up tents next to each other um, so we could be just one little hub, basically. And yeah, so so you do the race, um, obstacles. Spartan's kind of more like physically draining obstacles, and Tough Mud is kind of like more fear factor type type obstacles, like jumping off higher stuff. Or and uh, they had a few obstacles at 2014 that no one had seen before. So World's Toughest is known for debuting obstacles that will be part of the uh tough mudder series the following year um so basically because it's the world's toughest it's like you've got to learn to adapt to these new obstacles uh on the go and um i remember what we have there was uh i'll get there there's a thing called birth canal which wasn't that horrendous but it was just frustrating basically you had i don't know i can't remember how long it was maybe four meters five meters long and you had to crawl on the ground, but above you was water just sagging. So basically, if you lay on the ground, it would probably it'd be touching your back, obviously. Um, so you had to crawl under, but as you crawled, all the water pushed forward. So it got tighter and tighter the further you crawled along. Um, so basically, hence the name birth canal, because by the time you end at the end, it's like popping a baby out um, during birth. But of course, this is in the desert, so all they had was like this kind of sheet on the ground, but it was just like gravel and stones on your front, so it was just uncomfortable. And um, yeah, so they had that was one of the new ones. So once again, not a fan, like amazingly huge, brand new design, but just enough to be annoying. Well, that uh, one was I did a Tough Mudder in Auckland in 2018, maybe, and yep. they had Birth Canal there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's such a simple concept, like you were saying, you just crawl under this thing with water. Yeah. But that that freaked me out. Like yeah. <laughs> most of the other obstacles I was fine with, but that birth canal, yeah. It, I was starting to panic halfway through. Um, yeah. Just the fact that it's water, like it's because you move and then it lowers and surrounds all the available space. Yeah. Um, so that was a good obstacle. That definitely got me, like played on my fear. Um, yeah. And Tough Mud is awesome for that, having fear based obstacles. <clears throat> yeah. As you, and you can imagine, like, the first time through, second time through, third time through, it's like, yeah, no problem. 
and then come like 4 a.m you've been going for like over 12 hours just the thought of lying down on the ground and having to squeeze through that was just like so frustrating and like it's all part of the mind thing um world's toughest actually have probably half the obstacles are must complete so you can't you can't take a a penalty or a 30 burpees to get past you actually have to finish it that the other easier ones and then probably the other half if you don't complete the obstacle you have a penalty loop which could be anywhere from just an extra 400 meter run walk or carrying a cinder block up a hill and back down again so the must complete obstacles probably the toughest one uh was like just an a-frame structure and just flat surface on the side that you go up but just with um holes in the wall about shoulder width apart for, for most people and just pegs so so it was too high to jump and reach the top so you just had to take these pegs that were at the base and just like put them in the holes and just inch your way up um the wall and then you get to the top and then you take the pegs out throw them and then this little like throw them in the hole which goes back down the, to the start for the next person um so once again first time through second time through third time through pretty easy uh, but as you as your body drains and your muscles start giving up and you wonder <clears> what the heck you're doing um it gets harder and harder and one of the cool like i say the probably cool obstacles i can't remember what it was called but you, you climbed up to the structure it's probably about three meters four meters above water on a platform and it's all over water you're going to go in the water no matter what um you have to jump out and catch a t-bar and then that with your body that uh weight that then swings out and there's a bell hanging out in front of you and so you have to basically catch the t-bar swing just before it gets to its peak uh to its furthest point you just have to let go with one hand turn side on to the bell reach out and hit hit the bell and if you hit the bell you complete the obstacle and so you just, as soon as you hit the bell you just have to let go and just fall in the water uh, which is far <laughs> i've got some photos of me of the most ungraceful water entry you've ever seen uh, and if you miss the bell then that's a penalty so you have to um i think the penalty for that one was better was one of those 400 meter walk or extra distance uh, and then the signature obstacle for the world's toughest was a 10 meter cliff jump um Ooh. so um they'd never done anything like that before and once again like it's <laughs> all they had to do was build a structure to hold you so not not too difficult but i don't know i'd never jumped from 10 meters i think the furthest i'd ever done or highest i'd done was three or four <laughs> so this was like two and a half times what i'd ever done and that was the last obstacle for each lap so you jump off the cliff swim across the lake to the end cargo net climbing up the cargo net and then the pit was maybe i don't know 500 meters away so that some of the obstacles didn't actually open until so the oh the cliff wasn't actually open at night in the first year so it was only open the daylight hours so from we start at 10 a.m so from 10 a.m to 5 p.m and then the next day on the Sunday from 6 a.m. till 10 a.m. when we finished. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so I had no real plan, to be honest. I just had a whole bunch of food. I had made uh, peanut butter sandwiches. I had a whole bunch of like goo, um, 
energy gels. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember the food I made. I just remember peanut butter sandwiches and goo. Thought it was more. I thought maybe some cold pizza. I think. I think I had some cold pizza. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if you guys know about 2014. We actually had. It was known as the sandstorm year. About. So we started at 10 a.m. and probably. So to ask you about that. Yeah, I've heard yeah. stories about sandstorm coming through the the Las Vegas desert. Yeah, um, yeah. Tell us about it if you were in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. So basic, basically, um, the event started 10 a.m. Saturday morning, but barely any wind, like which was great because it's a desert. So there's, you know, if the wind gets up, which it did, which I'm about to say, uh, it's just a nightmare. Um, so barely any wind, and then about I can't remember the exact time. Sometime after 10 p.m. that night, so it had been going for 12 hours. Basically, according to the locals. A once in a fifty year storm came through. <laughs> so just horrendously high winds. Um, like I, I uh, apparently when they it got close to a hundred Ks at times, um, gusts throughout the um, throughout the thing. So it's in the desert. So the sand, the, the everything just got whipped up and it was just it was I remember being on the lap when it started and I was like I couldn't believe this was happening. <laughs> it was just like insane. And because the sand's getting whipped up, it goes straight into your eyes. And so your eyes were stinging like anything. Uh, and then you're running around, obviously. And so it was going into your throat as well because you just couldn't, you, it was hard to keep, you couldn't keep your eyes closed. I remember at first when I was trying to deal with it, I remember kind of being bent over at the waist at like almost 90 degrees, trying to keep my face out of the sand and, um, uh, which which was very uncomfortable, so I didn't continue with that uh, that posture. So that's it, it started about ten or eleven. I can't remember the time, and it just didn't stop for the whole rest of the twelve hours. So for half the race, it was just nonstop. It, to be oh, it probably eased towards the end, but it was still way more wind than ever before than you probably were expecting. Basically, what happened though, because a lot of people had thought, um, a lot of people had thought that you wouldn't need a wetsuit. Because it got the wind got up, everyone was so cold. Those who hadn't packed a wetsuit actually started to drop out really quickly because they were just freezing. And it had gone, like I said, it was 25 degrees at the start, and with the wind chill, it was probably below zero during the night. And um, the guy who won World's Toughest <coughs> the first two years, 2011, 12, and came second in 2013, uh, Jun Yun Park, his tent was like. 50 meters away from our tents and i remember he was like flying he was absolutely flying but he hadn't packed a wetsuit and i remember coming back from one of the laps going at probably half the pace he was going and he had pulled out of the race at like midnight or 1 a.m i can't remember the time and when i got back to my tent from one lap my dad and my mate told me he had pulled out which actually gave me like a massive surge of confidence that i was still going when um, the top guy had, even though he was probably like four or five or six laps ahead of me at the time, um, and I was never going to get close to him, um, it just gave me this massive confidence. And yeah, and people pulled out left, right, and center. And I remember afterwards, anyway, the officials said at one point, I can't, like probably the peak of the storm, uh, 1,200 people, there was only about 80 people on the course. So people either pulled out or they'd like just, because you can. After each lap, you can just spend as much time as you want in the 
pit area before starting another lap. Like you don't have to continuously be going. If you need to, if you've got an injury or you need to get a whole bunch of food in you or you need to warm up, you can take as long as you want. But obviously, that's less time to be out accumulating uh, laps. But yeah, when they said there was only that many people on the course, it was like I felt pretty cool that I was still going uh, at that, even though it was slow and boring. Like I definitely wasn't a top top uh, athlete. Yeah, so it's become known. If, if you ever get a chance, just YouTube um, 2014 World's Toughest Mudder. And it actually blew down some obstacles. That's how strong the wind was, um, which was great because we didn't have to, have to do the obstacles. We just had to run. So that saved time as well. Uh, yeah, so that was like as, at the time, you did, didn't even like comprehend how insane it was. It wasn't until we got back to the hotel and the staff at the hotel had basically basically the hotel big ho american hotel all the deck chairs had flown away um all their umbrellas were like two k's down the road or in the neighbor's place and all that and you just because you don't because you're focused on your event you don't even think about what this damn it this storm is doing to everyone else around the place yeah man it's good memories talking about it to be honest so the funny thing is in 24 hours say was in the tent next to me we didn't see each other once uh, in 24 hours, just our timing of our laps, um, we never came across each other. Um, but our our pit teams were keeping each other up to date with, like how we how we were both going, which was cool. Yeah. Oh, the, oh, sorry. Uh, just one last thing before next question. Um, because people started pulling out, a lot of people had food prepared um, for the 24 hours, and because people started pulling out at about the halfway mark. 13, 14 hour mark. Those that left who just were not going to come back, uh, they had left all their food in the communal pit area. Um, so my pit crew just went and like just grabbed all this different stuff. Like I just remember coming back to like this just plethora of food, hot soup, chicken, more chocolate than I've ever seen in my life. And people were just because people it was all they're not gonna they just wanted to get out of there because they were so cold. I came back from one lap and Gareth and dad were just like, so what would you like first? <laughs> and then that was a massive, like, um, that game that got my spirits up real quick when I saw knowing that I'd have an endless supply of food each lap, like that wasn't an issue anymore. So thank you to all those people who left food behind. <laughs> so is the toughest or Spartan, which would you prefer? Which is the, the better event? Oh, <laughs> um, just if, oh, good question. Uh, the, the world's toughest is my favorite event. Uh, but if I had to compare the Spartan, like just a gen general Spartan to a general tough mudder, oh, it's a good question because I, I enjoy them for different reasons. Um, tough mudder is sort of more, I guess, you, you meet, it's probably more the people focus for me. Um, with Tough Mudder, just the people you do it with. And, and originally it was just something I did as my own interest, uh, but as the years went on, you meet more people who are into this kind of stuff, so it becomes like a social weekend away. And But the Spartan is probably more of a physical challenge, um, so that tests where you are physically. Um, but just from my experience, you probably... Although all the Spartans I did were usually with groups of people, or well, travelled with them. You're not, you don't necessarily do the race with people because yeah. it's hard to. If you've got four people, you've all got different paces, or and you all have different times when you're feeling good and feeling crap. So, um, 
you do the like the traveling and the hotels together, but not necessarily the actual race. So that was a, I, I could be a politician because I diplomatically went around uh, that question. So. Fair enough comment too, because yeah, there is certain things, and yeah, the camaraderie and that, that is a big part of it. But the technicality of Spartan races is well, also I, a big thing that uh, yeah, I like, the, I like the Spartan fact that just the general races, so not the like super or the ones I've done. Um, I like the 30 burpees if you can't do an obstacle, whereas Tough Mudder, it was like, give it a go. If you can't do it, carry on, which is great for people probably if you're doing it for the first time or you're a bit intimidated um, or you want to try something out. And then, uh, yeah, they both have their pros and cons. Yeah. And I'll, I would happily do both of them. But, yeah, if I had to choose a race, it would be the, the world's toughest 24-hour race. And you said you did Hawaii. You did a trifecta in Hawaii or just? No, I, so that was 2016, August 2016. Uh, and I went over a, uh, an Aussie mate, oh, sorry, a Kiwi mate who lives in Aussie, uh, Nigel McIntosh. We were both doing World's Toughest in 2016. So we did the um, hurricane heat on the Friday and, okay. and, 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 and uh, Hawaii. And then, um, and then did the Ultra Beast on the Saturday. And that is one regret. I, sh I should have done the trifecta and finished it off on the Sunday. But I was, um, but I also, when I decided to go Hawaii, I had two mates not who were not into OCR at all. were like, oh, we'll come to Hawaii as well and be your support crew. And um, I told them, well, you can't really, there's no really a support crew for this race. And they're like, they, they just came to Hawaii anyway and had a party. Um, so, so I was doing stuff with them after the Ultra Beast, but yeah, <laughs> on the day of the Ultra Beast, we had to be up about two, two thirty a.m. to get out to the race in time for the six a.m. start or six thirty start. I can't remember. And I got up at two, and my my mates had come, were coming home from their night out just as I was getting up to get ready. So, uh, different reasons, but um, yeah, Hawaii that was intense. That was that was. That wasn't just the obstacles. That was like the terrain was the biggest obstacle. And unfortunately, we uh, the uh, we caught a ride out to the race with another Aussie guy, and he uh, he took a wrong turn, uh, so we we're a bit late getting to the race, and we actually started about ten minutes late. And then I don't know, I can't remember how many k's in, but there was a single track up a slippery hill, and someone had gone out fast, but was they were only wearing like running shoes sneakers uh, and they basically held up hundreds of people on the single track because they were just slipping down the hill and then all of a sudden because the ultra beast started first and then the first wave the competitive wave of the beast the just the one lap were coming up behind and i've just there were some very angry people about why the why the chain of people weren't moving <laughs> and uh, i i didn't worry because i was doing ultra beast and I, I had no set goal or anything for placing or time um but yeah all of a sudden people some of the top guys racing the beast started bushwhacking through the trip the thing just to um get ahead of the stuff so um stuff like that you can't control and um i, I was i was very polite for the first five to ten minutes and then and then we all got frustrated and just started pushing our way through so so you got any more ocr questions you'd like to throw at him matt max sorry Ooh, yeah, fascinating hearing about it. I can't think of anything specifically. Um, 
Is there any other aspects you want to talk about? I've got a couple, but we're going to go off OCR. I want to yeah. find oh. out because he's got he met one of my idols, the Dark Destroyer. I see <laughs> photos on Facebook. So yeah. what was all that about? He was over here or? Uh, yeah, so uh, Dark Destroyer, Sean Wallace from The Chase, the popular um, quiz show on the, in the from the UK. Uh, so hang on, we are 2021. So he was on holiday in the Caribbean over Christmas, New Year, 2018, 2019. And uh, from memory, he was either reading an article or just decided he wanted to go to New Zealand. Um, so this is December, January over there. So he messaged his agent and said, I want to go to New Zealand as soon as possible, get it sorted, basically. And anyway, so he went back to London and then he was talking, I, I don't know who it was, but he was talking to someone in the UK who knew the founder of our quiz company that I work for. And he said, mate, if you're going to New Zealand, get in touch with this guy. He runs a quiz company in New Zealand with obviously the chase being a, a, uh, a quiz pub quiz type thing. Uh, so to cut a long story short, he got in touch with Brendan our, um, and then so he came in February and um, basically they he, we get had about a week or two and we organized he 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 basically just wanted to see as much as New Zealand as possible. So we well not me as such, but Brendan organized kind of a, the main parts of New Zealand you should see if you've only got a week and basically organized each night in different places around New Zealand at a pub that does our quiz just a chance to heal. Oh, sorry. Sean was here to sort of um, advertise, promote his book that he had just released. So he, okay. he was trying to like sell copies and all that. Yeah. And, and he, um, yeah, so we organized pubs throughout New Zealand where you have basically like a Q&A and a chance to take on Sean, see if you can actually beat him in a quiz thing. And um, plus during, so during the day, he'd go and be a tourist basically and go and do as much as he could. And then at night, it'd be a pub <clears> thing. And um, yeah, so that, and it was a huge success. He actually didn't know the chase was screened here in New Zealand. So when he arrived and so many people were like, oh, wow, Sean Wallace, the Dark Destroyer. He was like, oh, wow, you know who I am type thing. Basically, wherever he went, um, people loved it. So he, he, that was that was February 2019. And um, he loved it so much, he wanted to come back as soon as possible. Uh, and so each year we have a national pub quiz champs, uh, which is a, our biggest event of the year. And you've just got lots of, like, crazy amounts of people trying to be the smartest people basically who's the smartest and so he said he'll come back and host that night for us be the host be the MC, which was great so we we we've managed to make more room in the venue and we had our biggest ever night we've had purely because sean wallace was the MC. um but he had he came out for i think it was maybe two weeks or close to two weeks and kind of did the same thing that he'd done in February, go around the country, do all these different events. He was, cause he, cause February was so successful when people heard he was coming back, they all wanted him to be part of an event that they were hosting or, or whatever. And, um, I remember on a, it was a Friday night, it was a charity quiz here in Auckland and we were helping it. And Sean was like a special guest. He wasn't insane. He was just around. I think he just did like one round, like 15 minutes. And at the end of the night, 
Oh, so because it's a charity night, there was also a few Kiwi sports stars who um, were there to promote the night, whatever. And um, in the break, they said, oh, so now's a chance if you want to talk to Sean or the Kiwi sports stars and um, go and get signatures or whatever. And in the break, the Kiwi sports stars were standing at a round table just talking to each other. <laughs> I think I think they may have got like a few people every now and then go up and say, hey, can I have a picture or whatever and sean had a queue like a hundred people long the whole time and it just it was just amazing to see like you know most kiwi sports stars i mean they were retired but still um but sean was just like in such hot demand and he um he was obviously he he, and so that was 2019 and he was planning to come back last year and then uh covid hit and just like everyone around the world all your plans go out the window so I have to admit, so, I didn't realise that the chase was such a big thing here in New Zealand. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. Especially yeah. my in-laws, you go down to the rest home and then they've all got to be home by five o'clock. <laughs> They're Yeah, I have people who come to my quiz nights. Um, they're like, I think some of them watch it delayed. So they, they always turn up late because they're watching the chase, right. <laughs> so, like a few minutes late. Um, but yeah, he, it just shows, it's just, and I had so many people, friends contacting me, especially when I posted on Facebook a photo with him and people, hey, is there a chance to meet Sean? And can he come, can he come to our pub? And yeah, and I was like, well, sorry, there's already a, already a schedule in place. All right. And uh, we've had Liam on before and we got yep. Scotty on, on Thursday. And, oh yeah. Um, they both told me not to get you involved in golf early, otherwise that's all we would talk about. So I suppose you've got a brush on this, and because this is new to me and Max, we're not sure about your golfing prowess. So. Oh, okay. Um. Uh, so in 2017, I was my um summer holidays, and I came back, and my my parents um had seen a a. a a flyer advertising the first ever New Zealand mini golf open um, to be held at Lily Putt on Tamaki Drive here in Auckland. Mini golf was something like probably a lot of families you've done over the years just to something fun if you're on holiday or just every now and then. And my dad and I played a lot of normal or growing up golf, as I call it, um, back in the day. And we're both very competitive against each other. So we decided to um, enter the first ever New Zealand Mini Golf Open. And well, we didn't actually do too well. <laughs> but um, from then, uh, they started a series of events uh, like once a month at different mini golf courses, mainly in Auckland and like Waikato and Bay of Plenty. And um, so we, we started playing those and that's kind of progressed into, so that was 2017, so five, four years ago. And uh, to cut a long story short, played a bunch of events. Um, currently, I'm the president of the New Zealand Mini Golf Federation. Yeah, got to organise events. It doesn't, you don't actually have to do too much, to be honest. Uh, we were due to have the New Zealand Mini Golf Open this year in a few weeks, uh, but that's been postponed to March next year. All going to plan. Um, but yeah, so I 2018 uh, went over to. Czech Republic for the World Adventure Golf Masters, uh, which is ba- there's basic. <laughs> it's so hard to explain because it's such a foreign concept. But there's basically two world championships for mini golf, 
uh, and there's the the version. It's massive in Europe. You've, I mean, people, you just got no idea. It's like people have played many, like they have clubs, like they have courses that are not open to the public. Like it's just for club members and stuff like that. Um, and it's not like you get a putter and a ball from the shop. Like you have your own putter, specialized putter. Um, they actually have rubber faces because the balls they use are not normal golf balls. They're kind of like squash balls. Some are made of glass. Um, some some of them turn up to a tournament, right? So there's only 18 holes in the course. Some people turn up to a tournament with like 400 golf balls to choose from. Um, and they carry it around in this bag and like this. So, yeah. So for the big events, they'll spend a whole week preparing on the course, testing different balls to see which one works best on different holes. Um, it's it's yeah you got no idea what it's like um uh so that was 2018 it was i was just so far out of my depth like these people have been playing this format i turned up with my normal putter and golf ball and basically people laugh at you um so managed to get a special putter and just a few like i think i had three or four of these special balls to use and had like three or four days to adjust compared to these people who play it week in week out for like decades um i remember actually the first round the first day it was so slow as well like so slow it took like close to 12 hours to play four rounds of mini golf um <laughs> so you go from 24 hour adventure racing to mini golf hours. yeah yeah 12 hours of four and um so basically <laughs> most two most polar opposite sports you can go for um and so but it, it felt it felt like a waste of a trip because you traveled so far all that time and money to, to, to do something you kind of can't really compete at as opposed to world's toughest which you can uh but then in 2019 i um there was a another event nothing to do with many what well, it's a putting competition so it was just on a normal golf green uh, it was called major series of putting uh and so two two kiwi guys organized it and the winning prize was a trip to las vegas to compete in the like international msop major series of putting uh, and i managed to win the kiwi competition the first ever new zealand competition uh and so we went back to vegas uh so after spending four years there for world's toughest got to go back in 2019 and compete um uh that was october 2019 yeah and um managed to there was it was like a, a week of events so it wasn't just one event and the event i i didn't have enough leave and it, it was quite expensive to enter so if i hadn't of won the event the new zealand event i wouldn't i wouldn't have gone over and um the event i did play and i managed to get sixth out of i think it was 80. um i was second it, it was so cool because there was like they're trying to make it not golf so they literally had a stereo playing the whole time when you when you're trying to putt and they had a giant scoreboard as well like live updating so each group you're in twos had a volunteer who was entering your score for each round and um your results would pop up on the big screen and uh with the last round uh event i did well and i just i think I, I just aced the putt on nine and i was up to second and I was like, it was like the massive scoreboard, and I was like, far out, because it was kind of like what I was saying earlier with um, World's Toughest. You go in thinking, man, what the heck? I have no idea. 
um, how, how I'm going to compare, if you know what I mean, like um, if you're up to standard. And it was the same with the golf. And then when I was second, I was like, whoo, wow. And it was actually like quite a lot of money involved. Um, if I winning prize in that event was like 12 grand US, um, and I've never won any money doing OCR. So, um, <laughs> and then um, I I dropped one shot on the back nine, and it was just the, the standard was so good that um, other guys who were below me at that time played well on the, the last nine holes and overtook me. I was four shots behind the lead, uh, the winner in the end. But the guy who won the biggest event the year before, I managed to beat him. Uh, and one, the guy I tied with for sixth, he actually um, made the cuts at this year's U.S. Open, Golf U.S. Open, the oh. the big, the big um, one of the four majors. So, four majors, yes. Yeah, so that was. Oh, no, mixing with the big boys. <laughs> that was the. Um, when I was young, you'd, you'd dream when you're playing golf, you'd dream of being like a pro golfer and being on TV and stuff like that was the closest I'll ever get. And, um, but the, again, that, so that was 2019 and the plan was to do, there was going to be three New Zealand events last year. And my plan was to, my ultimate plan was to hopefully tie in a big US trip and do the, the putting competition, then stay in the States for the world's toughest for one more, one more race. And that was, that was on my radar for either last year or this year. And, um, that all went out the window pretty quick. So. And the, the Patin event's actually folded now, uh, which is a massive shame. Oh. So, yeah. So you won't so, be getting back for that then. Yeah, yeah. So I was, yeah, it's just another thing that's, yeah, it folded pretty quick actually. So COVID really killed it. I think it was struggling anyway, and then COVID just killed it off completely. But um, So yeah. you're still thinking of going back for another one more go at toughest, World Toughest? Yeah, I did four in a row. Um, and I always had five in my mind for some reason. So, um, oh, I had written a whole bunch of notes about everything. So I was, I'll quickly see if I can. But basically, um, 2014 um, it was the first year. And I remember my, my pit crew were keeping track of my position as we went around. And you could actually sort the results by country. And so they sorted by New Zealand just to, to, to narrow it down to say and I rather than trying to scroll through. And we found out there was another Kiwi competing who we had no idea about. Uh, and his name is Abe, Abraham Dyer or Abe, uh, or most people call him Chief. He runs 808 House of Training uh, on the shore here in Auckland. Anyways, after the race, I uh, looked him up and got in contact. And um, he, yeah, we both did the race and then shared stories. And then we did a few races together in 2015. So him, Abe and I have done, did World's Toughest all the four years together uh, and then in 2015 a guy uh, Mark Brunton who was a member at Abe's Gin decided to do World's Toughest in 2015 so Mark and his wife Eileen two of the most uh, encouraging people supportive people you ever meet uh, so that was 2015 2016 we had 10 Kiwis take part um, so myself Abe Mark Say came back for his second year uh, Liam, who obviously you chatted to, um, Scotty Thornton, who, who, uh, hang on, how did it go? A guy I played rugby with was a friend of Scotty's, and Scotty had been talking about world's toughest, 
and our mutual friend Brett said, oh, the guy I play rugby with has done it a few times. I should put you in contact. Scotty messages me out of the blue. That week, we're literally due to do an exterior run out of Riverhead. Uh, Scotty introduces himself. Uh, that was like May 2016. And then by November 2016, we're going to Vegas together. So Scotty was there. Uh, Andrew Robinson, um, who who I met on the start line of the 2014 news, uh, Auckland Tough Mudder, was already – I'd done a few. He had a headband on. He was full of energy and full of chat, and um, we ran that together. And then we stayed in contact, and then he saw me doing World's Toughest, and he wanted to do it. So he ended up doing it in 2016. Nigel McIntosh, who I mentioned earlier, is a Kiwi living in um, uh, Melbourne. He did it. Uh, Nicola Reynolds, who was training at 808, she did it as well. Uh, and there was a random a guy called John Murphy who – hang on. Oh, is this okay just to tell him? Yeah, about carry on. No worries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he – I've got to get this right. He – sold his farm in Taranaki and 2016 was his year of doing as many cool things as possible. Um, so a, bunk, a big group of us went over to a Spartan race in early September and I was in line at customs arriving and I had my world's toughest mother shirt on from one of the years and John had entered for 2016. Anyway, he just comes up behind me and said, hey mate, nice shirt. Um, so we, we start chatting quickly and he was there for the Spartan race as well. Um, but I had done a rookie error and filled out my arrival form card in red pen and it's supposed to be in blue or black, blue. black, black pen. So the Aussie customs official said, oh, mate, just, I need you to take you aside and refill, re, redo your form. So our conversation got interrupted and I kind of forgot about John cause we were, a few of us kept, you know, traveling together and then, uh, must have been on the sometime after that race he sent me he found me on facebook somehow and said um oh hey mate nice to meet you we chatted briefly at the airport um how did your race go and anyway he turns out he was doing world's toughest so but he he was over with his dad or his uncle and they did the race together so yeah there was 10 of us in 2016 and then there was seven of us in 2017 let me get this right Myself, Abe, Scotty came back, Andrew came back, Nicola came back. Nah, Say wasn't there because he was 16. Uh, and Tracy Roberts did it for the first time. Oh, and Say's cousin, Guru, who lives in the States, he was picked from 2016 and he'd never really done anything like this. And he was so inspired by being there in 2016, he signed up for 2017. So... Yeah, we had a massive, we had a real tight community there back in the day. Oh, and then about five or six of them did 2018, uh, but I didn't go that year, and neither did Abe. We were both getting a bit older and a bit more broken year by year, um, but kind of glad we didn't because it was like freezing, not like a windstorm like 2014. They moved from Vegas to, oh, I can't remember where it was, but so many people pulled out because it was just so cold. And um, so I kind of dodged a bullet there. Would have been great to be there, but yeah, a lot of people didn't get close to their goals that year. Uh, but yeah, I do have, obviously next year is still unknown with international travel. So I've got my eyes tentatively 
uh, on 2023. But, uh, so, but um, yeah, my last race was 2018, so that'll be a five-year five year gap. <laughs> so, or 2018 was my last year in Aussie. I'm sure I'll try and do a few a few races before then if I decide to do. Well, hopefully we're going to get some. They keep putting them all off. Yeah. I'm, unfortunately, I'm booked. I've got a weekend away booked before the, the Spartan, um, New Zealand Spartan next year. Uh, so, unfortunately, I can't. Well, at the moment, I can't do Spartan next year. Maybe Ultimate Athlete. I'm not too sure. I was just going to say, because you can wait a week later. Week yeah. Later, yeah, week later. Yeah. So have you done any of the other other Kiwi ones like um well the Ultimate Athlete, did you do Matt Monganui or um Alpha Challenge or Warrior or any of those? Oh yeah, good point. Uh I haven't done Alpha event in Wanaka or Ultimate Athlete. Um I did the Wairua Warrior in twenty sixteen. And um I actually yeah, I wasn't in a good frame of mind in the start of twenty sixteen and uh, I enjoyed it. Um and the crew down there put a lot of effort. It was a real community event, and um, they had some very steep running hills as well. So they had the terrain was perfectly set up. And uh, as actually that event, I realised how out of shape I was and how how much work I needed to do to get back into shape. Uh, and then Scotty Thornton and I did the Madness here in Auckland, which ran for two years or three. Okay. Uh, so we did that. Oh, we did. I did it in 2015 with some mates from the gym I was at at the time and the four person team. And then Scotty and I managed to, um, he dragged me all the way and we managed to win the madness in 2016. Yeah. Although, um, yeah. And that was our cumu way. <laughs> I remember because part of it was over private farmland. I remember we crossed this fence and we had to run down this dirt track. It was pretty uneven territory. And these cows that were like, oh, felt like a mile away, just started charging us. Um, and we literally had to like, I don't think I've ever run so fast in my life. Like we were running and downhill, but you're still having to watch your footing because the terrain was so uneven. And I remember looking back once, and it was like the cow, like literally just over my shoulder charging at me. And the funny thing is we actually, according to the timing, we only won by like 15 seconds or something. So we actually owe it to those cows for making us run fast to actually made us uh, get that 15 second advantage. So, yeah. And so, yeah, they're the only local events I've done in new, like New Zealand based events. So um, it's a shame that the, I think the one down in Queenstown, the mule, I don't know if that's still going. That was going for a few years. So, mm. <clears throat> I think it might be. It might have might have been cancelled the past few years, but yeah, because yeah, the guy organised the madness as well, the same person. Yeah, correct. I think it's contracted because they had a few events right around that. Must have been around that 2015, 2016 period. Yeah. Um, I think they've contracted back to just the mule. Um, yeah, I haven't seen too much about it recently. It might have been all postponed due to COVID now. Yeah. Hopefully, it comes back. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you though, just to tie. OCR and your golfing, your mini golf together. <laughs> do, you, do you find any parallels between participating um, in them, or is it they are complete, like distinct sports? Phys physically, no, but just mentally, for sure. Yeah, like the 
physically the physical training for a tough mudder like there's not there's not too much physical training for putting <laughs> it's more like it's like if if you do like enough golf or putting events you know you can do good shots um at any stage but actually doing them when um when it matters when it counts that's a whole nother story i've seen people who just practice and look amazing in practice and then when the event actually starts or the tournament starts they're just terrible <laughs> uh, and i've done that myself as well so um yeah no mainly mainly crossover is oh, it's so cliche but just like that whole playing what's in front of you or focusing on the next step like with world's toughest you just kind of like concentrating on just getting to the next obstacle not concentrating on the 24-hour picture because that'll just intimidate you um so just setting small goals to get to the next obstacle maybe quicker than you did the lap before if that makes sense so you know you're making it uh like an a um improvement on the previous lap and then with golf it's like rather than thinking about the result just concentrating on your technique and your stroke and the result kind of takes care of itself if you if you do that well um yeah i remember when i was in vegas competing first once i got over the whole whole crap what am i doing here and you i also realized because everyone was so good you almost have to do better than you you have to do better than you think you can if that makes sense so if you put limits on yourself you'll only achieve so much so yeah and it's just a lot of people give you a hard time about playing golf events, especially mini golf events, because they're like, who are you playing? Your granddad. But yeah, when, when I was paying for thousands of US dollars, I was kind of laughing at all the people who uh, mocked you throughout the years. Um, but um, yeah, it's a good question. I remember when I before I went over to Vegas for the golf competition, I actually messaged uh, golf a guy I know here always oh, moved overseas now he's a golf coach and just asked for some tips um like for preparation and he said just believe in yourself you know you're good and well what do you what do you say rely on your iron man training <laughs> well I've, I've never done an iron man but i knew i knew what he meant yeah. as, as just just even like little words like that give you the confidence to back yourself and um achieve as well so yeah. You're, making, you're making me think that golf, like a, a mini golf putt, would make a really good obstacle, actually. Oh. <laughs> in, a, in a race. Yeah. Like Have a, you... Your expert opinion, we'll ever see. <laughs> I'm in golfing. Have you, have you seen the TV golf. show yeah. Holy Moly? No. Yes, that's the Aussie one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's basically a mix, it's, it basically combines obstacle sports with putting. So oh, I, yeah. it's it's like I'm born for this. Basically, it, it's made for TV though. So it's um, basically you have these specially made golf holes with obstacles, and um, basically, if you don't make the putt, you have to go and do an obstacle, uh, and it adds a shot onto your score. But if you complete the obstacle, sorry, if you complete the obstacle, it doesn't add a shot. But if you fail the obstacle, you're okay. Um, I've actually met through a few other like online golf events since lockdown um got to know some of the guys in the states who had competed and um i actually the aussie did a season last year 
they were actually filming it in March in LA last year. <laughs> they went up to LA, those that got selected, and then COVID hit. So they had to come back to Aussie and then do two weeks quarantine, like probably some of the first people to do the quarantine. Uh, and then they <clears throat> finished the filming in Brisbane or somewhere in Queensland, like la about September last year. Uh, and then it was on TV this year, I think. So yeah, I knew a few of the guys involved in that and they, they're all sworn to like any TV show that's filmed months in advance, all sworn to sweet secrecy. And um, apparently they're supposed to be doing a season two. So I'm kind of keeping an eye out and keeping some leave in the bank in case that comes out and um, apply for that. Cause it, originally it was op the Aussie season was open to Kiwis. And then like a few weeks later, it got closed to just Aussie residents. So maybe uh -huh. they're intimidated. I don't know. So yeah. yes. But if, if that happens again, man, I'll, I will be applying for that for sure. And um, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily, like it doesn't, oh, I don't know. I watched a bit of it. It's like, <laughs> it's it's made for TV. That's oh, that's the first thing I'll say. Um, and not the best putter will be the champion and not the best obstacle racer would be the champion as well. So, Well, I knew one of the women from the oh, Aussie. Yeah. yeah, she was uh, working one of the mine sites I worked at. Okay. Uh, and she did really well, and like yeah. she admitted, she didn't know much about putting golf, but she just put her name down and got selected. Yeah, yeah. but so right, I, it isn't, that isn't a real good putting thing. You've got to have other skills to to get through their course. Oh, some of the like competitive putters in Aussie got their noses out of joint because it was like people were being described as Aussie's best putters when they mm. they some of them can't even putt that well, but and then those that do putting competitions were like hang on these guys these people are not very good um so nothing like a bit of facebook comment trolling to um ignite <laughs> difference of opinions so all right well we've got a couple of questions and the first one is uh is there any questions we haven't asked you that you'd like us to or you <laughs> thought we would have asked you uh you want to comment on I've just, I actually wrote a whole bunch of notes about my OCR time and I'm just having a quick look through that. Um, I, honest, I could talk about it for hours, to be honest. So oh, Don't use yeah. it all up. We'll get you back on one other time. Yeah, yeah okay. We'll yeah. yeah, for no, sure. That sounds good. You've definitely got on. We'll definitely, especially if you get on the holy moly, we'll definitely get yeah. you back. <laughs> oh, who knows when that's going to happen, though. So. But, yes, um, who knows when we're ever going to get out of just getting out of lockdown in Auckland. Is... <laughs> I just want to... <laughs> oh, don't, don't get me started. Um, and one other question we ask everyone, if you could have a cup of coffee with any person ever, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Yeah. When you send through, I, I, no one, no one like immediately comes to mind, um, which I don't know if it's a good thing or not. Um... What did Lee, who, who did Liam say? Can you remember? Uh, Arthur, Lid, Arthur Lydia. Oh, yeah. The running coach. Oh, yeah. And uh, martial art, was it Bruce Lee? No, martial arts. Oh, I'm Bruce Lee. He had two. He cheated. Okay. <laughs> he came up with two names. <laughs> the funny thing is, I may have said uh, Richie McCaw, but I actually met him um, one, one, oh, in 2016 before World's Toughest. I, I did a, a week kind of a few trips the all blacks played island the weekend before and i managed to get a ticket to that um through 
a friend and she had access to the pre-game function as well. Um, and so I went to that. So this is a week out from World's Toughest. And um, All Blacks was they actually lost that game. First time they've ever lost to uh, Ireland. It was a historic game. And the pre-match function, there's Richie, like Kevin Mialamu, Brian O'Driscoll, Sean Fitzpatrick was the MC, And you had a chance to, they were just talking about stuff. And you had a chance to um, get photos and all that. So I went yep. up to get a photo with uh, Richie and Kev, and there was ah, someone else. And I, my, during my time in playing rugby in Auckland, I actually played with one of Richie's best mates who they, they I think uni, met in university and it's been on, they've been on a whole bunch of trips together and all that. And I said to Richie, oh, I, I played rugby with your mate and named him. And he just said, oh, okay. <laughs> that, that was it. <laughs> and um, and so I was kind of like, oh, okay, that ends that conversation. Um, but I, I'm sure he gets that thousands of times. Yeah, yeah. And um, but yeah, apparently, yeah, I won't say any more because he's the greatest rugby player of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if if I do this again, I'll 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 get two. Give me time to think about all it. Right. We will yeah. definitely get you back on. It has been really good. I've enjoyed listening to. Your uh, exploitations in, in uh, the OCR world. Yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, like there's a lot more. I, yeah, I I feel like it's it's just getting me excited. I hadn't really thought about OCR at all for the last year or so, and just when you messaged to say do this interview, it got me um, just writing down notes about all the time and trying to remember all the events I've done. It's brought back a lot of good memories. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I feel like there's lots we could pick your brain about and. You're so precise as well on your notes, like remembering years, and it's good. It makes uh, good yeah. stories. And um, I, I, I even could... asking you, sorry, I was going to say, even asking you about the New Zealand Mini Golf Federation, and yeah, getting your thoughts on that, and yeah, lots to talk to you about. <laughs> if you uh, if people listening, keep March nineteenth and twentieth free for the twenty twenty one New Zealand Mini Golf Open. That, I suppose there's, a, there's something too. Where where can people get hold of you? Which the best way of communicating with you? Oh, me personally or for mini golf? Yeah. No, for you. Well, for whatever you. Oh, yeah. you want to... uh, oh personally, it's just Matt Ansley um, on Facebook or my Instagram is my name, my surname first, then my surname, uh, then my first name, Ansley Matt. Yeah, happy to chat. I'm actually, I've used lockdown to um, plan a 2022 running tour of New Zealand. Uh, basically, my plan is to spend as many weekends out of Auckland as possible after this after this lockdown. Um, and the plan is to do some running events in places of New Zealand that I've never been to before as well. Um, okay. So, and I'm actually tying in some mini golf events out of New Zealand with running events. So, do the event in the morning, and then yeah. the mini golf in the afternoon. Um, so you're looking at like trail runs, oh road, road run, runs, trail runs. Road runs. Yep. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like fussy. Um, I've got January, February is booked up already, and I just hope everything opens. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of refunds and cancellations and stuff going on. Um, March is f- I've kept free because of uh, mini golf, and then there's. A lot of places in the South Island I've never been, and there's actually some very cool events that have only 
just been going for a year or two or debuting were due to de debut this year but have been postponed to next year so i've been using the spare time to uh, do a lot of research into all these things and 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 prioritize where in new zealand i want to head to as well and try well, and avoid try and avoid the south island in june and july i will give you one word of warning on that i did the same 2019 for 20 i spreadsheet with it all on <laughs> flights hotels everything to go to obstacle and trail running events in australia and all over new zealand and i got yep. to two of them and i've got a whole heap of credits yeah. <laughs> and a spreadsheet that i'm now trying to manipulate and change all the dates in that because it didn't happen this year so now move it all to 2022 i might just forget it all and put it in for 23 and worry about it then. yeah or were they for overseas trips I uh, yeah, I was oh, just Australia, just the east coast of Australia. I was going to go and do it, right? Uh, because we're uh, there's just not enough obstacle course races here in New Zealand. Yeah. And, uh, so I was going to try and get a few in Victoria and New South Wales and Queensland. That yeah, that was one thing. I probably could talk about it next time. But um, when I started doing the events, people that you know or you post on social media, right, or you talk about it at the gym. And within a year or two, there was like a, quite a community formed in Auckland of people just doing not, not so much like the world's toughest, but just a race somewhere in Aussie. And um, remember our gym, we took like, it was about 15 to 20 of us that went to one race one year, one of the Spartan races. And then uh, that Spartan I mentioned earlier in 2016, there's about 12 of us went over, but also there was also... Uh, Greg and Donna and some of the Wairua crew, um, Roslyn Ryan and some of her team were there, as well as Kate McEntee um, from F45 in Auckland. I just remember, I remember then, that was five years ago, thinking, man, we need to coordinate something for New Zealand obstacle race, or people involved in obstacle racing to a Kiwi somehow. And then uh, just didn't really eventuate, but... Yeah, well, that's what we're hoping this podcast will do is get a bit of a community happening. And, and yeah, no, I've, I've, like I say, I've been kind of in the wilderness for the last few years, but um, keen to get back where I can. Just need to get my body back in shape, <laughs> rather than rather than being a shape. A shape. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks again. It's been really good chatting to you, and we definitely will have you back on again. Appreciate it. Thanks very much.